August 13th, 2023. I'd like to this morning talk to you about the Sidur, this from specialized to standardized, I uh, entitled the class. Broadly speaking, the direction, the vision is to talk about how prayer at its core, uh, when we think about it both biblically and rabbinically, was purposed to be spontaneous. The Hachamim certainly describe it that way, and any prayer that you find really explicitly in the Torah is spontaneous. There's no specific um, command with regards to tefillah. It's true Harambam basing himself on the Hachamim at the beginning of Masechet Ta'anit, on the Midrash, that Ul Obdo is a reference to Avodah Shibalev Tefillah. But generally speaking, there's no specific injunction in the Torah to pray. Even the rabbis, when they envision the forefathers, Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov as praying, it's never in a formal setting. It's spontaneously. It's Avraham, Vayashkem Avraham, Elhamakom Asher Amacham Barishona. Avraham stands up in the place where he stood originally, in the eyes of the rabbis, as he's at the place of Sedom. He's praying to Akadosh Baruch Hu, Vayese Yitzhak Lasuach Basadeh, Yitzhak goes out to the field, and the description in the eyes of the rabbi says, En siha ela tefila. And Yaakov Avinu vayifga' bamakom, he touches or comes across the place, en pigi'a lashon tefila. What the rabbis are describing as well in each of those circumstances is how at its core, at its foundation, prayer is and was spontaneous. It's not something which could or would be formalized. It's not something which has a structure per se to it. It's something that a person spontaneously awakens themselves to in connecting with God. Uh, that being the case, over the course of time, as you might be familiar, as you might be aware, prayer became more and more and more formalized, structured and specific with regards to the words, the times, and many other laws connected to it, to the extent that, I've said over the course of many years, the greatest way to inspire change in the domain of halakha is through the Sidur book. It's an amazing thing because whereas tefillah at its core is supposed to be or was supposed to be something in which each individual just finds something within them and in turn outside of them, Sidur and tefillah has become, and for good reason, the opportunity or the venue through which uh, standardized, formalized, rite and ritual has been found and practiced. So I, I've said it again on many occasions that those who publish Sidurim have the greatest strength in their hands to inspire change. All it takes is a slight change or even a greater change and you've inspired a congregation, a community, a nation to change without even really knowing what they're doing because they're just reading the book in front of them. I've told in that context how the current uh, Rishon Lezion Rabbi Yitzhak Yosef told how when he was younger, he was punished by his father to go to the, one of the synagogues in Shkunat Bukharim by Chacham Ovadia Yosef, and they had to cross out lines in one of the Sidurim with regards to a particular halakha. Chacham Ovadia didn't like that there was a halakha published in one of the Sidurim, and in order to, and he was quite strong in his conviction and vision on how to inspire change, he said, you have to go, punishment to the boys, go cross out that line so nobody's misled quote unquote. There's a lot of ironic realities because his son, the current chief rabbi, again, Rabbi Yitzhak Yosef, 
published a book, a Sidur, some 30 years ago. Sidur Hazona Ovadia. His Sidur was not accepted, at least in the initial stages as he tells it, in Yeshivat Porat Yosef, his father's alma mater, because it had too many changes to the traditions with regards to what prayer books and the rituals should look like and sound like. But the reason that those stories are, are significant is because they again portray how Sidur, how Tefillah, has become the direction through which we see what we do. It's, uh, you open the Sidur. I was thinking about this specifically in the past week or two. First and foremost, during the year it came up. Then again, two weeks ago, the question was and is if there's a Hatan, a person, a groom who's getting married, and he's praying in the minyan the morning of his marriage. Now, generally speaking, over the course of the shivat yameh hamishteh, the seven days after a marriage, uh, there's no tahanun said in the minyan where the person uh, prays. In other words, you go straight to what we know as yihishem. You don't have the supplications following the amidah because the presence of someone in the midst of their jubilant, happy time, um, as a result, uh, we understand it as inappropriate to overly supplicate or request in uh, tahanunim. What about on the morning before they perform the mitzvah, before they're engaged and involved in the happiness? So I was brought up and familiar with the law and practice and custom that in that circumstance we do say tahanun. And I, uh, I made this clear to someone who asked earlier this year. Um, he said to me, are you certain about that? It doesn't look that way from this sidur. And he held up a sidur, a community used sidur, in which it actually didn't sound exactly like that. Although I told him, ironically, you could learn the sidur differently. You could understand it in a different way. It's not what it was setting forth. I made some phone calls at that point because I got a little nervous. Maybe I didn't know the right uh, custom. Everyone responded accordingly. Some two weeks ago, uh, Ronnie Hirsch walked into Knees. Um, so both of the people of, of the story are, are present. Teddy was the first time, Ronnie was the second time. Walks into uh, Sunday morning and asked in a, a different circumstance, do we say Tahanun this morning? Uh, there's someone uh, whose brother in, in the class as well is getting married today. Uh, do we say Tahanun? So I said, yeah, we say Tahanun. And there was an all-out debate and conversation. Someone ran to grab the, uh, you imagine Shohan Aruch, maybe Kafa Hayim, maybe, uh, to grab the Sidur to prove the Halakha. It was an amazing moment. So I pointed to the Sidur and I said, well, you see what it says over there? He said, yeah, but read the Hebrew in the Sidur. It seems to say it differently. And then the response in turn was, in the old versions of the Sidur, it said something else. I don't want to get into the particulars of Halakha and Minhag on that, although it's interesting. I want to just portray to you how the Sidur, the venue through which we spontaneously turned as individuals, if you were to portray to a person why religion, why spiritual connection is unique, you'd say, you can find yourself, your own personal connection to God through it, and yet the Sidur, the mechanism through which we do that, has standardized and further standardized to the extent that it's become, so to speak, a limud in it of itself. What's the sudur telling me? Why the sudur change? Is this the proper version? How is it? What is it that we should be doing? Let's look at the sudur. It's with that in mind that I want to just give, for me, one of the most ironic expressions of this, and maybe in subsequent classes, some others. I remind and mention at the onset that formalization and structure is not per se negative. If a full expression of the individual is lost, then there's problems, then there's dangers. 
But as a community, we necessarily need a certain, uh, certain structure. We talked about this in the Halakha and Agadah classes. So I'm not bemoaning what we're going to learn. I'm not feeling bad about it. I'm noticing it and realizing the inherent irony, but reality from a social atmosphere and a social development as to why tefillah has and, and, and will have that sort of trajectory with regards to becoming more formalizing. Uh, so if you take a look, this is really the, the uh, uh, if that was an introduction, here's the second introduction. In source number one, it's from a book called Hashi'ur Hashavu'i. These are the transcription of the classes on Motza'e Shabbat of the current, again, Rishon Letzion Rabbi Yitzhak Yosef. He tells the following story. He says, some... 17 years ago, I think this shi'ur was given maybe five years ago, so maybe 22 years ago at this point, he was in New York in congregation Sha'are Sion, and he came in contact with Chacham Yom Tob Yedid, Alav HaShalom. And Chacham Yom Tob came to him angrily with the new sidur, Hazon Ovadah, which Rabbi Yitzhak Yosef had published. And he pointed to a particular and specific halakha which he was unhappy about. He said, it says in your sidur, and we'll give the background to this in just a moment, that in the silihot time period, of course we're beginning next week, silihot, throughout the month of Elul, as Sephardic practice has developed, in the silihot laws it says, that the sections which are said in Aramaic, again, we'll define all this in a moment, cannot be said unless you're with a congregation, a quorum of 10 men. Hacham Yom Tov fiercely disagreed with it and said, why not allow individuals to say this as well? What's the problem? It's not per se a beracha levatala, it's not devarim shebiktusha, it's not something that's wrong, you're telling people not to pray these words if they're saying silichot as individuals. That's the beginning of the story. The response of Rabbi Yitzhak Yosef will discuss in a moment as well. What did it mean? What are we talking about? Silihot again is this custom not mentioned in Talmud. Harambam, as a matter of fact, as Ezra will tell us, in Peregimal Vilchot Teshuban, Halachat Dalit says that in his time period they were only saying Silihot, and keep in mind, the Svaradi, Harambam, born in Spain, spent much of his life in Egypt, well, only during Aseriti Met Teshuban, only during the 10 days of repentance between Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, but over the course of time, and before and after, it developed that, generally speaking, Middle Eastern countries uh, of practice uh, do it from the beginning of Elul. Now, throughout the Silihot, the bedrock of Silihot are the 13 Midot Shel Rahamim, the Vayavor, Amonai, Alpanav, and so forth. That, separate conversation with regards to being said as an individual or with the congregation, but there are as well sprinkled throughout, much as we're familiar in our prayer on a daily and, and weekly basis, Kaddish is said in Aramaic, of course. When we take out the Sefer Torah, we read a passage from Zohar, Berich Shemeh, which is said in Aramaic. But there is as well several prayers in the Silihot in Aramaic. On a daily basis, we have that maybe in Ve'atak Kadosh, you know, the, the, the words that we say silently. But in Silihot, you have Rahamana, you have Maheu Maseh. There are several passages that are Aramaic. And there is a notion published again in Hazon Ovadiyah. It happens to be published as well in the Silihot book, which my father published some 20, 30 years ago as well. The Beit, I think it's called Beit Yaakov. As well, in the, the short laws at the beginning, it says the Aramaic portion should not and may not be said by an individual, only if you're with a congregation. Which means to say when we start the Silihot sometimes and there's not 10 men present yet, we skip over those sections in addition to others. And when we got a congregation, we might go back and say them afterwards. Okay. So then, according to Chacham Vadya Yosef, not saying it. Not saying that section. 
Uh, well, that being the case, I bring you now back up to speed in the story. So Chacham Yom Tov angrily, I don't know angrily, he just was a very serious presence. It felt angry, but it was just passion. Passionately approached Rabbi Yitzhak Yosef and said, I have a problem with this line. Apparently he had scribbled something even in the margin of the Mahzor and said, I disagree with this. To which Rabbi Yitzhak Yosef responded, if you take a look four lines from the top in this first source, Miyad Aniti Lot, the end of the fourth line, Kach Makshe Bekafa Hayim. He said, the truth is, Rabbi Yaakov Hayim Sofer, who lived at the, the earlier part of the 20th century, he too made this claim that there's not per se an issue with saying these passages as an individual. He says, first and foremost, if the words of the later scholars, the Aharonim, are that you should not be saying, we'll have to figure out why, those sections in Aramaic, well, we're not going to push them out because we have a question. Every question has an answer as well. I'm not going to per se, although we did on another occasion, deal with the response. I'll briefly summarize what Rabbi Yitzhak Yosef suggests. He quoted from Ben Ishchai in his book, Rav Pe'alim, that Silihot is supposed to be congregational. And as a result, specifically those portions are in Aramaic so that we read them as a congregation. And therefore, reading them as an individual is inappropriate. Okay. But that being the case, some backdrop here, and then try to fit this into place. What's wrong with saying Aramaic? prayers on my own. We pray on our own. If we don't have a minyan or whatever the circumstances, we pray when we're traveling or anywhere else on our own. Why are Aramaic prayers problematic? Kaddish might be one conversation. Is it because it's in Aramaic? But what's with these Aramaic portions? Ashkenazim on Shabbat, when they take out the Sefer Torah, say, Yekum Purkan Min Shemaya, Aramaic. Is Aramaic something about congregational? Can't be done as individuals? The sourcing on this is two Gemarot, first in Masechet Shabbat and Daf Yod Bet, and then in Masechet Sota and Daf Lamid Gimal. Now the Gemara is as cryptic as the notion, because the Gemara's claim is the following. If you take a look, um, two lines down, two words before the end of the line, it says, Ve'amar bi'ohanan kol ha-sho'el serachav bilashon arami en malachei ha-sharet nizkakin lo. Any person who makes their request in Aramaic, the angels will not heed your needs. Why not? Because the angels don't know Aramaic. Now, mind you, Rabbi Yohanan did live in Israel, but they did speak Aramaic there as well. What does this statement mean? How are we to make sense of that? And the context of the Gemara is in the midst of a prayer, a supplication, which was made in Aramaic. So the counterclaim is, how could you be doing that in Aramaic unless you have a congregation? Angels don't, excuse me, leave out the congregation. Angels don't understand that. Now there's major theological questions over here. Who's speaking to angels? I thought I'm speaking to God. In fact, one of Harambam's principles of, of, of faith for all intents and purposes is we worship directly to God without any intermediaries. We've addressed that, we've talked about that on other occasions. But for the moment, what does it mean angels don't understand the language? How does the Gemara resolve this question of the request when a visiting a sick person was made in Aramaic? The Gemara says a sick person is different. A sick person, God, so to speak, in some way or fashion, is residing right there, so you don't need the intermediary activity, whatever that means, of the angels. You could say it even in Aramaic. 
Uh, one second, let's gather ourselves again. Aramaic, not understood by the angels, therefore, don't pray in Aramaic. Amazing. However, if it's a sick person where God's presence is more manifested, Aramaic will work. You don't need to go through the angels. That's Gemara number one. More questions than answers. Gemara number two. Masechet Sota. Dav Lamid Gimalamudalev. The Gemara questions. The fact that the Mishnah mentioned that prayer can be said in any language. The Gemara says, can it really be said in any language? I thought that angels don't speak Aramaic, so you shouldn't be able to pray in Aramaic. Answers the Gemara, there's a difference between a congregation and an individual. What's the difference? Congregation has power, has force. God doesn't turn congregations away. Individuals, you need to appeal in some way, shape, or form. Again, the theological issues notwithstanding, to and through and with, however words, whatever words you want to attribute, the angels. All right, so let's piece ourselves together. Let's piece the things together. Again, angels, says the Gemara, don't speak Aramaic. Prayer should not be in Aramaic, unless it's extenuating circumstances like a sick person, God's presence, or a congregation, power and force of the congregation. All right, we now kind of already can make some sense of this of this silly hot business, unless you're with the congregation, you shouldn't be praying in, uh, in Aramaic. Is this a binding halachic source? And furthermore, is, it, is, is there a rationale to this? Can we make sense of what it means that angels don't speak Aramaic? Uh, do we envision angels as these beings who speak some languages as opposed to other ones? Are they just, uh, they haven't gotten the app on learning Aramaic? I don't know, what, 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 what sort of statement is that? Not clear yet. It was the vernacular. It was the language people spoke. Understood. Understood, right, ironically. Although I think I could, I could hold my own in Aramaic. I'm not sure with uh, Armenians if I'd be able to, but if I found a... Uh, it, but, it's an amazing, but it's an amazing thing, Ron. All the jokes notwithstanding, well, what are they talking about? Now, again, in terms of a polemic, potentially, from an Eretz Yisrael perspective, a Rabbi Yohanan vision, there might be. This is a scholarly statement that Rabbi Yohanan is trying to strengthen something in terms of Israel versus maybe a Babylonian vision. I can understand that. But in terms of content, all right, so I want to get there because there's a particular irony in this whole conversation. I want to get there, but first, to present to you Kafa Hayim. That's what we were citing at the beginning. Kafa Hayim, a very important, significant 20th century, early 20th century composition on Shulchan Aruch. It was written by Rabbi Yaakov Hayim Sofer, originally came from Baghdad, settled down in Yerushalayim at the end of his life. I had the, you know, this this fascinating and exciting thing that I would do over the course of four years living in Israel, I would say silihot, of all things, how, how ironic, I would say silihot in Beit Midrash Shoshanim LeDavid. Shoshanim LeDavid is where Rabbi Yaakov Hayim Sofer spent a lot of his study time when he was in Israel. There was an attic area where his bookcases were. I don't know if the bookcases were there any longer. Did I... You felt a tradition in the place. You certainly did. Chacham of Adyaz, uh, at the time, uh, son who was a little out of the loop, Rabbi Yaakov Yosef, Alav HaShalom, used to pray there as well. It was just, it was a night, not a large congregation, not a large crowd, but it, it had a certain aura. It was an old school Sephardic Jerusalem. I enjoyed that very much. Anyway, Rabbi Yaakov Haim Sofer, in his book, Kafa Haim says, Although, ideally, the Gemara seems to be steering us away from prayer in the language of a non-angelic understanding, that's not to say that you can't do so. Maybe it'll be less effective. Maybe it'll be less powerful. 
Okay, does that mean you shouldn't be doing it? Kafa Hayim argues that it's okay to do so. There's a lot of fascinating things then developing. It means, go ahead. Are you referring to just Aramaic or all languages that are not? The words of the Gemara are Aramaic. It sounds like just Aramaic. Amazing thing, why would it be just Aramaic? Again, couple that with Rani's point earlier that'll really lead us into the, into the crux of the conversation. Eliot says, why Aramaic as opposed to any other language? They were well aware of Greek and other languages that were existent, and Rani kind of helped us with the fact that people were speaking Aramaic. It's almost as if, again, Rabbi Ohanan's specifics notwithstanding, the rabbis, I'm putting them all on this, because the Gemara does record this in Talmud Bavli, were purposed at taking away from people personalized expressions of prayer. It's almost as if the Aramaic was problematic because that was the easy way of praying, the natural, almost spontaneous way of speaking. Right? For example, in the Perusha Tefilot of Rabbi Yehuda, that's right. That's the point. In Perusha Tefilot of Ribar Yakar, Bihuda Bar Yakar, he was one of the mentors of Ramban Nahmani of Bimoshe ben Nahman. He has a, a Sidur in which he has a commentary, one of the early commentators on Sidurim. He says, Uma she'ose kadish belashona arami, al shem she'en malachia sharet makirin belashona arami, v'Yisrael mahazikin la'atzman ma'ala yetera kashe yodein l'shabeach shevach she'en malachia sharet yodein. There's a particular uniqueness and special stature to kadish Aramaic, because you're going around the angels, you're going direct, some sort. Ikar ta'am, she'en makirin. What does it mean when we say they don't understand it, they don't know it? Aramaic specifically, Elliot. Rose lomar she'en rosin laseto ta'atefila lefnei ha'kadosh baruchu. It's a vision of they won't bring that prayer in front of God. Lefi, she'lashon aramihi lashon sah ve'kasar ve'karo ve'hayut sirichin ha'mitpalim lahaniach lashon ha'kodesh ba'avur lashon arami. Aramaic is shorter, terse, to the point. You would, the people who were praying, would neglect Hebrew for Aramaic. As a result, it would be, and he's saying it between the lines, he's saying that the rabbis envisioned it, that's what he's saying between the lines, because he's giving a pragmatic reason. He's not saying angels don't know languages, he's actually going to make the point that angels, if they know languages, know all languages. He says this was the rabbinic vision of, we don't want Hebrew prayer lost. Aramaic prayer would be easier. Aramaic prayer would be more concise, more sharp. We don't want that to be lost. He goes on, he quotes from the Gemara. The Gemara says that the reason Aramaic was where, the rabbis envisioning, you know, the grand scheme of things, was where we settled down in a land of Bavel, where they spoke Aramaic, is because Aramaic is so similar, most similar to Hebrew. So you can't tell me the angels know every language, but they don't know Aramaic, which is most similar to Hebrew. Instead, suggests Ribar Yakar, this was a purposeful direction of the Hachamim so that we would maintain the prayers in Hebrew. He continues and he says, but specifically individuals, but when it's a congregation, and we can already appreciate that as well, the individual expression, there's a particular and specific fear. There's going to be a loss for that individual of traditional prayer. 
He continues, he gives another angle, it's important to mention, it's not per se the direction I want to take. He goes further and he says, it's possible that in some way or fashion, the angels don't speak Aramaic at all. And therefore he writes, women's prayers are not accepted, that's what he writes. Because women, in his time period, didn't speak Hebrew. And as a result, he says, if we take such an angle, if we accept such an approach, anyone who's speaking to God in a language which they know, such as Aramaic, are not getting through. It's in the... So again, by extension, in America, his claim would apply to English. It's more an expression of the hachamim in which they're saying, we would rather not have people diverging from the traditional, purposeful, appropriate, beautiful Hebrew language prayer and saying their own. A little bit further, I didn't find this. I, I found this Perush of Rabbeinu Yehuda Bar Yaka some years ago. I, I recently found that in Ra'avad, in Timim De'im, uh, his book Ra'avad, the one who writes the glasses to Halambam, he cites from Rabbeinu Yehuda Ben Yakar, but he adds in something else. It's possible it's in there. I don't have the book with me, although I did look it up on Otsara Chokmah in preparation for the class. I don't remember ever seeing this explicitly in and couldn't find it in Riba Yakar, but it's quoted in his name, Ra'avad, does in source number six in Siman Kof Pedalit. He says, furthermore, it's along the same lines, furthermore, the more people will speak in Aramaic prayer, the more ignoramuses we will create. The less people who will be familiar with our, our safin, less people who will know the, the proper prayers, they're just going to be doing spontaneous, easy prayers. We can't allow for the proliferation of Ameha Aretz. That's the words. We don't want them to stop Hebrew. We'll have more ignoramuses. We'll have more people who aren't proficient in Hebrew and prayerful Hebrew. They won't learn the proper prayers the formal prayers, the structured prayers, because they're already praying in their language, the easier, concise, more familiar prayer. Lastly, in terms of this description, and these are the traditional descriptions to that Gemara. It's not some sort of, I don't know of any early source which says there's something about Aramaic and angels. It's more a practical consideration. Beta Behira Mi'iri, in his commentary to Masechet Shabbat, suggests that the reason is the more familiar you are with the language, the less intentful you are, the less kavanah you have. When I have to break my teeth and my mind on the Hebrew language as I'm reading those words, I think about those words. This brings to mind a conversation, a meeting I had with Rabbi Shammai once said publicly. I was with another rabbi and we were discussing how to stop talking in the synagogue. Needless to say, unsuccessful meeting. Um, anyway, so what we discussed was, uh, one of the rabbis said maybe we need a contract, people need a sign before coming in, no talking. I said I would be breaching that contract, unfortunately. Anyway, we had all sorts of guys. Then Rabbi Shammah, in a very authentic moment, said, listen, let me tell you how I connect to prayer. And I can't tell you most people will, and therefore I have difficulty in this conversation. He said, I read the beauty of the Hebrew language. I read the alliterations. I read the allusions to Pesukim and Tehillim and elsewhere. And I'm inspired through that. He says, you expect the average person to do that? This is a tall task to try to get people be focused on the prayer. I can't associate it with the words. He said, maybe I'm too intellectual in that respect, but that's how I affiliate myself. I remember him saying those words to the prayer. 
but Meiri is to a certain extent along those lines, right? What Meiri is saying is the further or, or the less familiar you are with the words and with the language, the more you're going to pause, read the translation, think about the shorish, the root of the word, etc. It means that all these practical suggestions uh, mentioned and considered, think for a moment what the punchline here is with regards to prayer and the vision of the rabbis as we're understanding it in the context of Aramaic prayer. It's that prayer should not be too personalized. It's that prayer has a danger if it is spontaneously, continuously, and consistently expressed by you. The standardized, formalized text, which is in Hebrew, which is beautiful, which is Hashanah Kodesh, is a necessary convention or injection because without it, people will be neglecting proper prayer. Now, skipping, no skipping, going to source number eight, Think about the particular irony in face of how we got to our prayer books as they exist today. In Harambam's Perek Alfil Chotefilah Lachadalet. What's that? In the Silihot. In the Silihot. Uh, we have in the in the Atak Kadosh. If you go after Ashre, the second Ashre, the Atak Kadosh, the Amram Berichim, all the words in the, that we say silently are all in Aramaic. That's in Aramaic. In our daily prayer, that and Kaddish, that's it. Uh, in Silihot, there are three or so passages. Ashkenazim have Yekum Purkan. We have Berich Shemeh. Berich Shemeh, which is a passage from Zohar. That's right. Yekum Purkan is putting it back. Yes. Yeah. Talking, talking about Nahardah, yeah. So, I mean, the, the interesting, but again, for me, the, part, the striking irony, and when this hit me just a few days ago, I, I couldn't get past this in terms of the development of this. You know, so we're talking about development of halakha. Think about the iron origins of prayer as we have it. Harambam in an iconic, famous statement, it says, prayer was once recited by anyone and everyone whenever and however they found necessary. That was prayer. We began the class that way. Prayer in the Torah. No standardized, no formalized. Which according to Arambam is a mitzvah from the Torah. But what do I say? At Moses, Arambam, I'll tell you how to face. Face the Mikdash. At Moses, Arambam, maybe there was a structure of Shevach Bakashan Hoda'ah. Arambam says that's from the Torah. Everything else, the words, were your own words. I, dare I say they were supposed to be your own words. Says Arambam, but over the course of time. Exile circumstances that are tragic. People lost an ability to organically express themselves to God. Their languages and their nations that they were surrounded by caused them to become la'agim, to become people who didn't speak properly, who didn't know how to express praise and even request to God in the appropriate fashion. Says Harambam, that was the motivation for what I call standardized prayer. I'll go a step further in the rabbinic Vision. Arambam very much subscribes to it. It's Anshe Knesset HaGedola. The members of the Great Assembly who brought forth prayer, brought forth Tefilot and Berachot as we have it. When did they operate? They operated during time of exile as you lost a strength stronghold in terms of tradition, in terms of knowing what to do. We needed, and we talk about this all the time, necessary ways of standardizing, formalizing, bringing ourselves together so that we aren't further dispersed. That being the case, 
if ideal prayer, if the, the prayer which is expressed spontaneously is that ideal prayer, can you imagine what the Chachamim then are telling us in this passage, in the Halakha, which Chacham Yitzhak Yosef was debating with Rabbi Chacham Yom Tov Yedid, what they're effectively saying is prayer has come so far from that specifically individualistic expression, that unique way of finding God in my own life too? Well, you can't say it in the language which is most familiar to you because that'll take you too far away from the way that we do it. The prayer book, as we said earlier, has emerged as the formalizing text, as the book which tells us how we act. Ironically, the very text or the very notion of having a text which was supposed to be purposefully for you and me to find God in our own lives has become, and I don't bemoan it, I'm not sad about it, I think it's so necessary, but realize it's not that we came up with other alternative ways of bringing the congregation together. We took the very way that individuals found God and said, take that and turn it into a communal activity to the extent that if you're going to do it in your own language, well, you should know the angels aren't listening to you anyway. You should know that prayer is a dangerous, not so great prayer. It's an amazing thing, at least in my eyes. You know, to the extent that the poskim in turn have the following type of debate. Chacham Yosef, dealing with Mi'iri that we just mentioned. In his in Siman he writes about this concept as well. In Yahavedat, in Helek Dalet, he says, well, maybe if Mi'iri is saying it's because you're not intentful, maybe if you have your own personal prayers in Aramaic, well, maybe that would be okay. Because if the whole concept is, I'm reading the language that's already familiar to me, if I'm crafting the words on my own, maybe I do have the kavanah. No, don't get ahead of yourself. You can't, you can't go beyond the text in the prayer book as we have it. That's what he writes, and he quotes from Poskim. And therefore, very clearly, his notion and his Pesach Halacha is, you may not, under any circumstance, be saying those Aramaic portions of the Silichot without a minyan. Yes, Al? Again, I, I am with you, and I think that you are lending reason to a, a, an added layer of depth to that Gemara and Sota, which distinguish between if you do it with the congregation or separate from the congregation. What I think you're suggesting is if I'm with the congregation already, we have to now imagine, I think this is what you're saying, that my standardized texts are together with them. Now that we have a personal expression through Aramaic, a language that we understand better, and now we, now we have room for that. In other words, the vision being one in which, again, the fear specifically is the loss of standardization, the specialized notion and nature of prayer. Yeah? Why does angel not listening it's the easiest way for, as I understand it, the hachamim, again, that's, that's how you get around many of the theological issues, right? It's the easiest way for, for the hachamim to say, don't do this. The way they say, don't do this is, that's the way the poskim are understanding it, is, angels aren't listening, God won't hear it. To say God isn't listening, God doesn't understand, uh, blasphemy, quite literally. To say angels, whatever that means, it's a way of saying, please don't do this. This is the wrong thing to do. And again, that leaves us now, well, maybe it's not wrong to do. Alternatively, Chacham Vadya Yosef is screaming at us, it's wrong. His son is putting in this, you do it, don't do it. We've come that far. The truth is, 
there's a question how far we've come. I can tell you, as I said, the Syrian prayer book has it in English, uh, the Silihot book, and now the, the other edition as well, the, the Sha'arir Hamim as well, I checked it at some point, as well says, do not say the portions of prayer in Aramaic if you're an individual. Keep in mind, Chacham Yom Tob Yadid is from Halab. He was not so, sounds as if in Halab, at the very least, it was never expressed this way, but possibly it was even expressed. You can do it as an individual. Rabbi Meir Mazuz, in a vintage and authentic moment, took opportunity to dispute this matter. His vision is, he's from Tunisia, he's from, uh, uh, from Jerba. Uh, his vision and his memory is his father and congregation would pray if they had salichot on their own with the Aramaic portions. He has sourcing that Yemenites as well. And his understanding is that Middle Eastern Jewry, generally speaking, said the Aramaic portions of Selichot even without a minyan. He's going up against Rabbi Ovadia Yosef. What's his bedrock tradition? That's what he's saying. There's a certain beauty to that tradition. Again, if the backdrop to all this is, we fear the individual uh, prayer, the expression in turn is, if we think about this philosophically, is no, but traditionally we've made room for the individual expression. He has sourcing, of course, he quotes from the Geonim. The Geonim is the generation before the medieval rabbis and after the Gemara, somewhere in between, in the years 900 to maybe 1100 or so, a little bit before, maybe a little bit earlier on, on both ends, but ultimately speaking from the Geonim, he cites, they were aware of this Gemara and they all seem to say, nobody follows this. We pray in Aramaic all the time. We are okay with that, says Rabbi Mazuz. You see, they were doing it back then and we're doing it until today. Look at the prayers as we have them. We never distinguished. We have that Gemara, but that Gemara notwithstanding in terms of practice, we can and should be saying, even when it's expressed in Aramaic, those sorts of prayers in the Silihot. Now the debate didn't and won't end there. Rabbi Yitzhak Yosef, of course, went back at Rabbi Mazuz in source number 11. In a later class, in the, his Saturday night class, source number 11, in the fourth version, the fourth season, so that several years ago was published and, and those classes were given. And he says, halachically speaking, look at Shulchan Aruch. Shulchan Aruch is in source number 12. Shulchan Aruch seems to take the, the, the view of Rabbi Yochanan that you can't and shouldn't be praying in Aramaic. He has two opinions. How do you read those two opinions? There's a lot of methodological disagreement. It's Tam Shomrim. How do I do this in this circumstance in Shulchan Aruch? He, Rabbi Mazuz responded to him. Rabbi Yitzhak Yosef and Rabbi Mazuz who are at odds with one another halachically speaking on many matters. He says, you said that in Jerba, that's the way they did it. Here's a list of Tunisian rabbis, all of whom record that you shouldn't be doing it that way. It's this all out halachic battle, but at its core, it's not just technicalities. At its core, what I'm suggesting, we're dealing with fundamentals of Sidur, of prayer, of a transformation of Sidur and prayer, which I don't, I don't think is, is tragic, I do think is reality. Tefillah, Rabbi Mazuz, through his Pesach Halacha, is reminding us to lose vision of the spontaneous, to lose vision of the personal, authentic, individual finding of God, is to lose vision of Ayashkem Avraham, is to lose vision of is to lose vision of the vision that the rabbis gave us for good reason of prayer being spontaneous, organic, and individual is very much in line with an Aramaic acceptance. Is it an ideal? Do we ensconce it as part of a, a ritual, a communal one? Absolutely. But to lose that part of it is to lose prayer itself, I fear. I conclude only 
although there's much more to say, with the following debate, talked about as well on more than one occasion. It's in source number 14. Rabbi Chaim David Halevi, in his book, Aselech Rav, um, debated and discussed um, uh, after the conquering of uh, the old city of Jerusalem, after the recapturing of the Kotel, whether the Nahem prayer, which is traditionally said at the very least a Minha on Tisha B'Av, but perhaps throughout all the Tifibot, depending on what community you're part of, um, whether that prayer should be altered, because the prayer talks about the city, which is Shomema, which is desolate, which is Bizuya, which is shameful, etc., but Jerusalem today, the old city including, included, is blossoming, burgeoning, beautiful, far from being desolate. Maybe we need to change those words. He suggested just adding one word, Shehayeta, which was desolate. He wanted to change that one word. He wrote it in a newspaper uh, article of some sort, and then he published in his book, Aselecharav, Chacham Ovadia Yosef, responding directly to that. And Yahavedat, and Siman Mem Gimal, passionately and vehemently disagreed. And what's the basis for his disagreement? To say it in a sentence, it was because prayers are not altered, because prayers have tradition to them, because prayers were put together by Anshay Knesset and Hagidullah, because prayers, he goes further, are inspired prophetically, and in turn, for us to play or manipulate prayers, is to play and manipulate what is and should be our method, our mechanism to connecting to God. Again, notice and realize the irony. Prayer, the individual, personal, organic, authentic, spontaneous expression of finding God, find your own words for it. There might not be any words. Harambam, in an iconic passage as well in the Moreh, talks about matara rishona, the ideal expression of prayer, although he doesn't suggest that we all just do that, is meditative in nature. But prayer as words, okay, a concession, but your words, furthermore, dispersion, galut, exile, circumstances called for a standardized text to the extent that the poskim, hacham Yosef, chief amongst them say, Altering, shifting, changing in any way those prayer texts, says Chacham Vadya Yosef, is playing with the very fabric of tradition. There are particular difficulties with such an approach. Nahem couldn't have been the expression of Anshek Nesagadullah, which are on the brink of destruction. Nahem is after destruction, his argument. A difficult one is they wrote prior to destruction the passage for destruction itself, a difficult claim. The further difficulty, again, just to state clearly, is that although, and my father's rabbi, Rabbi Soloveitchik, very arduously fought this point as well, although a fear of loss of tradition in the Ashkenazic mindset, losing to or giving into a reform or conservative vision of let's excise words from prayer, let's change what we've been doing in all sorts and shapes of, and fashions, I, I understood. But the idea of prayer can't be injected with a personal, realistic, relevant um, expression is, is, is ironic at best. It seems to cut into and at the very core and fabric of what prayer was. 
I mentioned this all again back to the title of the class, the Sidur, from specialized to standardized in realizing the beauty of the Sidur as a vehicle and a mechanism that gives us an ability to connect to God is something which, as I said, is beautiful, is necessary. The formalization in general of prayer is a necessary component that we've had. We've discussed this on other occasions where the hachamim seem to be standardizing matters. They standardized, for example, the Gemara in, in Masechet Rosh Hashanah, what the sounding of the shofar would be like. Whereas, according to the Geonim, it was once different in different communities, which appropriately and, 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 and comfortably had different expressions. We standardize, we formalize in order to keep a communal national feeling and perspective. However, Prayer, at its core, was the greatest expression throughout generations, throughout any religion, of finding myself in a relationship with God. The tragic side of destruction, dispersal, and exile is that we need a standardized text. The then trajectory of that text, the way the Sidur has then become the vehicle, with the capital T and V, of uh, communal uh, understanding to the extent that the Rani and Taddy stories emerge about, well, what is it that we do in this circle? Let's check the Sidur. Check the Sidur. Shouldn't we ask Dad or Grandpa? Shouldn't we check the Halakha book? No, let's check the Sidur. It's an ironic but fascinating development how the Sidur has become that standardizing function, a mechanism which is not specialized per se any longer, but standardizing. Does that mean that a specialized vision should be lost? Certainly not. There's a challenge, however. Anytime matters get more standardized, the specialized, the individual voice gets lost within it. The, the, the tension the schism, the ability that, or the responsibility that we have to find ourselves within the standardized only makes it more difficult, but not lost in terms of that art of prayer. Yes, Ron? So, so most of the time in prayer is the Amidah. And it's at that point that we're able to infuse our own, uh, Yes. Right. You, you want to pray for a sick person, you're dying, you want to, you have kind of issues. Yes. Right, so really that's the intention, right? Sure. So again, it, the you way... The the exactly. So what Rani, in, in a great concluding line then, says is what we do have, nonetheless, what we have not lost, thankfully, what the ironically new called Yaakov Sidurim have done more along these lines is point out how within the Amidah there is opportunity, maybe necessity, of self-expression. But in terms of the words that said, in terms of the words on the page, in terms of the, the standard text of it, there is a very much standardizing effect with regards to Sidurim. The Sidur, which came about, as Harambam says, because of Galut, became so strong in terms of its force, in terms of its entity, to the extent that it almost precluded, in the eyes of the Hachamim, personalized what they called Aramaic prayers. Yes, Ted. Can you say it in your own language? Of course. No, no, no. You said this. I don't think there's any benefit in saying it in Hebrew in that, sir, or, or in any language that you don't know as well. No, no, I don't think so. Because I think what we're talking, 
although, although proper claim in the scheme of things, but halachically speaking, you kept the standardized text, and now you have the personal expression within it, so you might ask, in turn, and Rabbi Mazuz would be very proud of you if you did so, well, what about Silichot? I'll keep the rest standard, I'll just have those Aramaic portions. Uh, the point is, is well taken. The concept, however, I think, the overarching and, and further-reaching concept, I think, is nonetheless there. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen